Good morning, Irvine, and welcome to a third season of Sports Matters. I am your host, Kevin Drake, and sitting right next to me, my partner, Matt Burt. Good morning to you. Good morning to you, too. Well, without further ado, we have a very special guest on hold. He is the legendary coach, as well as a motivational speaker, and I'm not going to hold things up because I've been waiting all week for this, but uh, Coach Dale Brown, good morning to you. Good morning, Kevin and Matt. And Matt, I probably shouldn't break this news to you, but... Kevin told me he's getting you for Christmas. You are going to be surprised. I can't say any more, though, okay? <laughs> but just get ready. I think it'll be something you've never had before. Oh, really? Well, that's I think more you'll than be you surprised. Last year. It could be another gift that keeps on giving, Mr. Hey. Burt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, how's your family doing, uh, Coach? I have no complaints. None yeah. whatsoever. Zero. And so, uh, uh, it was recently Father's Day. Did they do anything nice for you? Just every day. The Father's Day is, um, I think, probably the greatest joy I get, not only my immediate family, but just the numbers of coaches, players that I've coached. Just on Father's Day, it just is so beautiful. Now, there's not as many telephone calls as emails lately, but just the, the pleasantry of re- rejuvenating old friendships that will last forever. Father's Day brought that around this year more than ever. Amen to that. <laughs> well, Coach, you know, I, I guess we'll, we'll dive right in, you know, because a lot of listeners out here, I mean, they know of you. You know, obviously, I know you have some family out here as well, uh, but I want to get right into it. You know, uh, I guess we'll start with this. I know you attended uh, Minot State Teachers College. I just wanted to ask you, what or who inspired you to become a teacher or coach? Nobody. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I have to be very candid with you now. I always dreamt as a young kid. I used to go to the little 10 cents to go to a movie in Minot. I'd watch those FBI guys, and I thought, man, alive, that's really cool. So I always kind of had a plan on being an FBI agent. Now, I loved sports because it gave me so much. It was a father substitute for me since my biological father abandoned my mother and I and two sisters two days before I was born and never came, gave me some, had no contact, there was no money, no nothing. So sports gave me the good first self-image of myself. It taught me discipline. It taught me teamwork. And it gave me positive thoughts. It's the first time I really felt special because when your mother's a maid, you're on welfare and live in a one-room apartment above a bar and a hardware store and your clothes smell of mothballs because you got them at a rummy sale. (laughs) It's difficult when you're down in the dumps to have somebody pick you up. But I had an unbelievable mother, and thank God for sports. Well, to answer your question, I'm supposed to see my senior class counselor. And I go to her, and school was never a problem with me. I'll be honest with you, I never studied. I never opened a book. It just kind of came natural. I'd go listen and pass tests. I didn't have any delusions of grandeur. I wanted to be valedictorian at the time or anything or salutatorian. So I'm with this senior class counselor. And she's when I you haven't really declared a major yet. I said, what I'd like to do, I'd like to be an FBI agent. Dale Brown, an FBI agent. She said, do you realize being an FBI agent, you either have to have a law degree or an accounting degree? I said, really? I had no concept of that. So she said, you got so many hours in education, you should be a teacher. Okay, I'll be a coach. The next year, I got my first job in a small town in North Dakota called Columbus, two miles from the Canadian border, and fell in love with coaching. So Rick Pitino wrote a book called Born to Coach. I don't think I was born to coach, but the instant I was injected around those kids and what could happen in my own past, what it gave me, I wanted to give back to to young players. I just think that is so great. I mean, you know, how how you came around, how you you faced adversity at as a child and, and be able to have that, it's just, it's just astounding. Um, you know, while you're attending though, when you're at Minot state teachers college, you know, obviously you're taking a full load and you're also a star football, basketball and track athlete. In fact, I think sports illustrated, actually they did name you one of the top 50 athletes of the 20th century, which is unprecedented. How did you find time to work part-time to help construct the Minot Air Force Base. It was not easy. Uh, it all started, I saw my mother's work ethic. I saw her go clean people's homes, go babysit for people, kept a meticulous house. Uh, 
on a welfare check from $42.50 a month and a little bit of money she made. And I think by watching her, her work ethic, um, and then I can recall I was 10 years old. I think this is where it all started. She told me that when I left for school that particular day, you, don't, don't you play with any of your team friends now. You come on home. I have something to talk to you about. So I came home, and she had a little piece of paper, and she had a line drawn down the middle. To the left of the line, she had the income, $42.50, Ward County Welfare a month, $0.50 cents an hour, whatever she made with a month in babysitting and cleaning people's homes and my little paper route that I had. Then on the other side, she had rent, food, blah, blah. These just don't, don't add up, the clothes. So she said, son, what you're going to have to do, you're going to have to find a, a, a better job to, if you can start tomorrow. Would you, would you go look for one? Now, as a 10-year-old kid, I knew to come in out of the rain. I did that. That's about it at that time. I started at this little tiny town of mine at 25,000 people, maybe started down on the main street. And the first store I went in, I remember just like I'm talking to you and Matt now, Kevin, I remember distinctly it was called Woolworths. And I'm walking around in there, kind of went over with a candy, wasn't a little girl behind the counter. She probably was a teenager herself, practically. I said, yeah, do you, 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 you need any boy? You, you need any help in here? Nope. Well, I, sh I didn't ask for a manager or whatever. I walked up the street and, of course, got all those, went into department stores, clothing stores, drug stores. There were two spots left to go. One of them was a jewelry store, Steen Strips Jewelry. I walked in, and the lady came from behind. Yes, little boy, can I help you? And I said, yes. Are you looking for any help here? And her husband was apparently, I think it was her husband, Tom Steenstrup. She said, Tommy, we, we're really lucky. We're looking for a little boy to go to work. And I remember he had a little thing in his eye looking at jewels, and he spun around his chair. He wouldn't get you go to work. I said, I'll start right now. So I started there carrying out the garbage, sweeping the floors, cleaning the windows and the onyx tile out in front. So I got a work ethic, I think, that developed into my adult life. Absolutely, which carried over to your coaching. Matt, would you have a question? I just wanted to know, what advice would you give someone who was in a similar situation as you growing up? <clears throat> well, the best advice I could give is what my mother taught me. My mother, there were, there were, there were, there were three things. This is the advice I would give to somebody growing up that's in poverty, doesn't have a dad. And there's a lot of people in the world that only have one parent. Thank God for the mothers that we have that keep us alive. But there were three things I saw by my mother that turned me forever about what life was about. One time, she came home from grocery store. She had two brown paper sacks, and she'd take them out, and I could always see her doing it. She was so meticulous. She'd take out the beans, the bread, the milk, the butter, sell the meat, and I'd see her cross off the slip. So now it's 35 below zero in that Klondike weather up there. I see her <laughs> yeah. go back in the closet, get her coat, and she I'll be right back. Where are you going, Mama? Well, she came over, and she had a quarter in her hand. She said, oh, the lady at the Red Hall gave me 25 cents too much. I have to take it back. That, number one. Number two, my mother taught me never, if you're looking for a helping hand, son, look at the end of your own arm. In other words, she hated to get that $42.50 a month welfare. And by the way, she paid all of that back eventually. Wow. To, to the Ward County welfare. So if you're looking for a helping hand, look at the end of your arm. Then the third thing my mother taught me, she came home one night after babysitting, and I'm waiting up for her, and she asked me to sit in her rocker. She pulled up the footstool, and she said, Son, I have to tell you something tonight that's going to embarrass me, but I don't want you to make the same mistake I'm making. I thought, My mother, she never smoked, she never drank, she never swore, she never dated, she never talked about the guy that left us. And she said, When these... When I have to go babysit for these big shots, she said, I'm so self-conscious they're going to ask me, you know, well, what's your husband do? And she said, I don't want to say that he left us and abandoned us. Or what's your education? I don't want to say I'm in the eighth grade. Eighth, eighth grade was as far as I went. Or they can smell the mothballs on my clothes. So, son, Dale and I don't want you to do this. What I did, I went and looked up big words in the dictionary. And then I studied those big words. So when I got in the car, I was going to make it impression or an image on them, she said. 
I'd inject these big words to kind of control the conversation. She said, Dale, <laughs> if you, anything in your life, do not do that, because that's an image. And, son, if you spend too much time polishing your image, you'll eventually tarnish your own character and be an unhappy man. So for an eighth grade education, she had a Ph.D. called Common Sense. Wow. That is amazing. Matt, you have another question? Well, I was just wondering, <laughs> what, what words did you look up? Do you still remember that? What? What? Do you remember what words you were going to use? What words? Yeah, in the dictionary. No, she was looking up oh, the words in the dictionary. Was. Oh, I thought you were. I'm sorry. No, no. She she was trying to make an impression on the people who were picking her up to go babysit. So she was the one that injected the big words in the dictionary from the dictionary. Wow, I, I see. Very clever. <laughs> so, um, what would you say your greatest accomplishment is? Um, it could be anything in your life. Hmm. Um. That's a. That's a. That's a probing question, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going to beat around it, and I'm not a beat-around guy. I'm a North Dakota guy that's oh, blunt and yeah, that's right fine. to the point, but um, I think the, the best way, when you talk about accomplishments, let me use my mentor of 40 years. I brought Coach Wooden to Baton Rouge to speak to my team and just do a scouting report on us, and we were at lunch at one of my favorite restaurants here, a place called TJ Ribs, and we're sitting... Just he just picked up his ribs, and I man off to the side, maybe forty years old young man, and he came over and he said, "Coach wouldn't excuse me." He said, "I just want to say this to you: you are one of God's angels. Your accomplishments, he said, you're a legend of all time, and you're my hero. God bless you, Coach. I don't want a picture. I don't want to shake your hand. I I, I, I don't I I don't I don't need any of that." He said, "I'm sorry I interrupted." He turned and walked away. Coach wouldn't put down his rib, young man. Come on back. What's your name, young man? Kevin Drake, coach. Kevin, you just made an old man really feel good. But he said, I wouldn't want you to leave here under false pretenses regarding me. He said, I'm not what I ought to be. And I'm not what I should be. But I'm sure glad I'm not what I used to be. And I'm a work in progress. And you're going to make me work harder that I would meet those standards. So when you say, what's my greatest accomplishment? I have no idea. I would hope it would be I would hope it would be that we have a a loving family. Two, I hope it would be that there was not one player of the hundred and sixty that I coached at LSU and hundreds as a high school and junior high school and assistant coach that I ever used or lied to. So no, again Yeah. That's what John Wooden, one of the greatest coaches. I'm still a work in progress. And what he said, I'm not, I'm not what I could be, not what I should be, not what I ought to be. But glad I'm not what I used to be. Well, what a great mentor to have. I mean, the legendary the coach John the Wooden. Best. You know, you, uh, you, you, you know what he had too. Very similar to my mother. Edgar Guest was John Wooden's favorite poet. Oh wow. Well, I read. I started reading Edgar Guest. And there was a poem in there. The last time, one of the last times I was with Coach, I'd get there early in the morning, 8 o'clock, sometimes stay till 10.30, picking his mind, laughing, going to lunch, joking. And he never seemed to want to rush me out of there or anything, and I felt almost parasitic. But was one time I left, I said, Coach, I know Edgar Guest is your favorite poet. And I said, there's a poem he wrote that best describes you. I've never heard you preach. I've never heard you talk about stuff. I said, and he describes you perfectly in his his little poem. It says, I'd rather see a lesson than to hear one any day. I'd rather you walk with me than to merely show the way. The eye's a better teacher and more willing than the ear. And the counsel you're giving may be very fine and true, but I'd rather get my lessons by observing what you do. I saw that same thing with my mother. She didn't blow bugles or make a big incident. Taking She wasn't even going to tell me she, she was taking that money back. I saw her another time take 40 cents back to the Piggly Wiggly store. They gave her too much change. So you live by your examples. Um, our... our um, our, our people judge us so much by what they don't ever see behind the scenes. Um, what, what you, your, your, your character is who you really are, not what people perceive you to be. And John Wooden and my mother were two exceptional people, so <laughs> I was blessed to have 
two good people, although I never had a father in my life. Uh, those two were tremendous, tremendous examples to me. You know, Coach, I, I have a lot of people. There's several people listening from New Orleans. First, I want to say hello to Brent Lester and Paula. Thank you for uh, tuning in. And, um, and there's an LSU Tiger fan here in the studio, Hobart Taylor. He's in charge of our uh, jazz and blues. You know, he has a great show as well. Um, my question to you is, when you first took the job at LSU, what was your first goals or tasks that you wanted to accomplish that year? Survival. <laughs> I think they had 14 out of 18 years were losing seasons, many of those in the cellar had not won an SEC title in a quarter of a, 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 quarter of a century, uh, had fleeting moments of greatness with two phenomenal players, Bob Pettit and Pete Maravich, but only been to one Final Four in the history of the school, really hadn't been a power. So just to survive, and uh, I was told by people, boy, you are making a mistake. You're going to a football school. You're going to get eaten up. You're, that'll be the end of you. You're not going to be going any other place. Well, I didn't go any other place. I stayed here 25 years. <laughs> you did. <laughs> and uh, it was not easy. It, uh, there is no pill, prayer, magic wand, or a prescription you can use. Now, if, if there's a quick way to get to the top, yeah, there is. Get a sugar daddy. Cheat. Change transcripts. <laughs> get someone to take tests for other people. And that's, that's been done and is being done now, as you can see by these latest scandals. But if you want to do it right... Although, when I talk about scandals, the, who cheats? The biggest cheaters in the world are the NCA. Mm-hmm. They legislate against human dignity, and they practice monumental hypocrisy. And how they've been able to survive as an organization these many years is beyond me. How they, how, how they haven't been in court, lost their status, and I think that's all going to be changing soon. Yes, I, I, I think so as well. Yeah, we've talked about that before on the show, for sure. Um, my question is, when you were down having losing seasons, how did you keep the team's morale high? Um, I tried to uh, – I didn't want to be a you know a phony evangelist or something. There's, there's, enough, there's enough people walking around, you know, charlatans. But I always tried to be up real with them and just give them hope, the fact that the impossible is what nobody can do until somebody does it. There's no, no that, that's not a motivational speech. It's the truth. The French have a word, eat a fix. Whatever you fix in your mind, if you work on it, you'll get it done. People wish they were great. You can't wish things. You've got to will it. Willing it, getting up early in the morning, going to practice when you didn't want to do, when you're stiff and sore, pushing yourself. The greatest athletes in the world. They don't want to do that, but they do it, and that's what separates them from mediocrity. <laughs> so I think what really kept me kept me going. I really knew from from my humble background, I used to, uh, we had no car, no radio. Of course, television wasn't invented at that time. I had never been out of North Dakota. I'd go sit in the alley at night and look up at the stars. North Dakota's as flat as a desktop. And I thought of two things. I thought, man, a liar. Would I love to climb mountains? I'd never, the biggest mountain I saw was maybe an anthill near the school. Number two, I'd like to travel. Now, how am I going to travel? Didn't have a bicycle, didn't have a car, no money, no transportation. How am I going to climb a mountain? Climb up on the drugstore, the corner, Ward County drugstore or something? So all of those dreams I kept in mind. Well, now I climbed the Matterhorn. I've been in 90 countries in the world. And this is not being narcissistic. This is just anybody that's listening. You can't give up. It's so easy. Yes. And you've got to stay away from the naysayers, too, the people that say, well, you can't do that. I'll give you an example of that. I met in the mountains in Germany. I was asked to come to speak to the military. That was during the communist period of time. Mass, they, we massed 80,000 troops on the East German border to intimidate the communists that we were going to stay there and protect Germany. One of the spots I was at had a cracked armor division. My last spot had been there for four or five days in the country at this Wildfleck, uh, and it was called, this military camp. Finished my lecture. I got a tap on the back. I turned around. Here's a strapping man, 6'9", 250, and he kind of stuttered. I noticed him. He was dressed neatly. He had khakis, clean little shoes. And Coach Brown, I'll be trying out for the team here. He said, I can't dunk a ball. And I run up and down the court about three four times, and my lower extremities tire. Can you show me any exercises? 
So I said, do you have a weight training room in the gym? No, we don't. I said, well, I'll show you some non-resistance. So I showed him some. I went back to my bag, get a pen and piece of paper. I said, what I'll do, soldier? When I get back to LSU, I'm going to send you our weight training program. How long have you been in the Army? And he kind of looked over, looked right and looked left and smiled and kind of bent over and cupped his hand. Coach Brown, I'm not in service. I'm only 13 years old. <laughs> you are? Well, what are you doing here? He said, my dad's a career military man. Wow. I said, what's your name, young man? He said, Shaquille O'Neal. I said, well, I'm going to get home. So before I came home to see my blonde Norwegian wife, I went to the office and sent that stuff myself out to get, get the weight training program. About six weeks later, I'm on my way to practice. My secretary runs down. I think you want this letter? It was from Shaq. So as I'm crossing the street to go over to the Pete Maravich Assembly Center, I rip open the letter. It says, Dear, Dear Coach Brown, I did everything you told me to do, and my high school coach cut me off the team. He told me I'm too slow, I'm too clumsy, I have too big a feet, I could never be a basketball oh. player. He suggested I become a goalie in soccer. What should I do, Coach Brown? Man, I put the letter in my pocket. I was distracted the whole practice, got back to the office. The secretaries had left. I sat behind my desk pondering. Now, what kind of a profound statement am I going to make to a 13-year-old child that's just had his heart broken by this guy cutting this giant of a man? <clears throat> so I pondered it for a little bit and said, hey, I'm just going to tell him about my life. So I don't have to paraphrase it. I can give it almost word for word. Dear Shaquille, I'm so sorry what happened to you. However, in my life, when I heard people say that Dale Brown would not want to be anything, he didn't have a father, he's a mother's on welfare, they're poor, I said, I always tried the following, and it works for me, and I bet if you try it, it'll work for you, and it's fairly simple. If you always do your very best and under no conditions – Give up. Never give up. And do not listen to negativity. Sooner or later, God will take care of everything else. Well, years go by. <clears throat> Just, I think, in the last last year or two, I found out from him. We were at the Hall of Fame or some, some banquet. And he said, you know, Coach, I never told you this. But he said, we had a mailbox down the road almost a mile from our house, and I had to go get the mail one day. I made up my mind sloshing through that snow up in those mountains in in Vildflecken area. I'm going to quit basketball. I'm going to go to the Army just like my dad. I'm not going to make it. I was ready to quit. I opened up the mailbox. There was a letter from you. I opened it up, and what you said, never give up under any conditions. He said, Coach, that turned me around forever. I was intent from that day on. I'm going to be something. So there's a lot of people get the door shut in their face, and and there's a lot of hardships. There's people probably listening to this right now. They have an abusive father. They have no father. Uh, they've been abused. They have a narcotic problem. If you really don't give up, and it's easy to say it rolls off my lips like a motivational speech, but if you don't give up, if in the bottom of your toes to the top of your head, you make a decision. The greatest power in the world is not a hydrogen bomb. It's not the rocket that sent the rover to Mars. It's not a submarine with all kinds of atomic weapons. The greatest power in the world is our power to choose. So in our life, we're going down the road of life, but all of a sudden the road of life, sometime of your age, mine, mine started, my road ended two days before I was born when I, when I was abandoned. The road veers off on two other roads. The smooth road we were going down, now there's two roads, there's a fork in the road. The fork in the road to the right, you see that's a better road. The fork to the left's a bitter road. Both of them be better or bitter. So it's my decision. What road am I going to go down? Am I going to go down the better road or am I going to go down the bitter road? Now, I, I really applaud all the people that have gone down the bitter road, pulled themselves out of drug addiction or failure or prison sentence or what have you. They should be applauded for their things. So. It's pretty simple. It rolls off your tongue easier than it is to live, but it can be done. As I say, there's no pill, prayer, or prescription. It's you. The greatest power in the world is our power to choose. And thank God I had a mother that never gave up. I Also, I had a mother for mothers that might be listening and are only a single parent. One time I asked my mother. She went to babysitting. I was looking through her drawer. She had a Bible, and there was a letter, and it said Charles A. Brown, 302 East Ashenia, Oklahoma. I didn't even know who Charles A. Brown was. 
she came home and I said, Mama, who's Charles A. Brown? She said, that's your dad. No, it isn't. That's your, that's your husband. It's not my dad. I don't have a dad. So I got curious before I went to bed at night. I said, Mom, what kind of man was Charles A. Brown? Oh, he was a good man. She said he worked hard. He said, your two older sisters, which were 11 and 12 years old, he took good care of them. Well, he was such a good man, Mama. Why did he leave? Well, he fell in love with another woman's son, but, you know, he was a good man. That's my mother. No, she'd have told me that he's a chintz, he's wrong what he did, he abandoned us. I'd have had a bigger ship on my shoulder than I had. So thank God Mother's Day means a lot to me. Yeah, absolutely. I think to all of us, but but especially to you, Coach Brown. I mean, what 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 a it's just such a powerful and profound, you know, thought that you expressed. Coach, I you know, I want to have a little bit of fun here. Uh there's a I was a huge fan of NCA basketball in the uh, in the 80s and I watched a lot of basketball and one of your teams that really intrigued me was that 1986 LSU team that was unranked that you were able to coach to the final four and I wanted to know if you could expound on this this particular defense that you played uh, was 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 known as the freak defense could you elaborate on that uh, it's, it was simplicity I can first of all those were really really good young men just good people and they believed but everything went wrong that year we had three centers two seven footers um we lost uh zoran yovanovich seven one from yugoslavia with a knee injury i suspended seven foot one tito horfer from dominican republic and three my six eight center nikita wilson was declared ineligible we were out of centers so I called a 6'6 kid in from Miami, Florida, by the name of Ricky Blanton, who'd never played with his back to the basket in his life. And I said, Ricky, we have nowhere to go. There's only one guy that I think can make it at center for us. And we're going to change our defense. We'll use our freak defense. It's you. His eyes got big as saucers. Coach, I've never played. I've never played with my back to the basket. Well, you're going to do it. Well, he did it. Now, he did it with really some good, hard-nosed kids. And he did it, I also think, the freak defense. I don't know how much inventions there are, but we were I was a high school coach, and we played a school by the name of Williston. Now, my little center at this little Catholic school at St. Leo's, where I was coaching, at, or Bishop Ryan, where I was coaching at the time, was 6'2". This big kid up in Williston was about 6'9", big, long arms. His name was Phil Jackson. <laughs> Well, we go up there the first year, and we get waxed. So I said, i got to do something different. So I sat down, and there were no copy machines at the time. There were ditto machines. I did it out thousands, hundreds of pages of basketball course. And then I set up, what can I do? Well, I happened to come onto a book called The Art of War, written by a famous Chinese general centuries ago, Sun Tzu. And he said, when you're facing a superior enemy, deception levels the field. Two, when the enemy has to prepare everywhere, he's not ready anywhere. A surprise to the enemy limits his, limits his talent, makes your talent, neutralizes his talent. So that's what i got to do. i got to confuse people. So I thought, well, there's, we're starting out in a 1-2-2 two, two zone. That's just fake. We're starting out. Now. When the ball is passed in the right-hand side of the court, when it's passed in, now if it's dribbled in, we're still in a 1-2-2 two, two zone. But if it's passed into the right-hand side of the court, we're playing man-to-man because that's the side that the ball comes in the most at. And I'm going to put my best defensive player over there mm-hmm. on their best offensive player. So if the ball's passed to the right, we're playing man-to-man that whole time down. If it's passed to the left, we're playing a 2-3 trap zone. If it's passed in the middle, we're playing a 1-3-1 one, one zone. So it's fairly simple. Number one, if the ball is passed, not dribbled, passed. If it's dribbled, we're in a one-two. If it's a penetration, we're staying in a one-two-two zone. If it's passed in the right-hand side, we are now playing man-to-man, which is our best defense on their best defensive player. If it goes into the left wing, we're using a two-three trap zone. If it goes into the middle, we're using a one-three-one zone. Now, I won't. I won't make this complicated because. Um, they say John Wooden said simplicity is the answer to everything. Um, <laughs> yes. It sounds more complicated. Now, if somebody figured out what we were doing, 
call timeout. Oh, I can know what they're doing. They're, 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 every time the ball goes on the right-hand side, they're playing our guy man-to-man. They're faking like in their zone. So here's what we're going to do. Well, then you you now flip your flip your codes. Now, instead of when a ball goes into the right-hand side, you don't play man-to-man after your timeout. You play a 1-3-1. One, one. When the ball goes into the middle, you pay it, play a trap. When it goes into the left-hand side, you play a 1-3-1. One, one. If you can understand that, I got a job for you at the Nassau Space Center. <laughs> but it's it's much it's much simpler than it's much simpler than it sounds. It's not complicated. It's and the kids love it. And you have to be awake on defense because one guy can screw you up. Let me give you an example. We're playing North Carolina in the Meadowlands in New Jersey, and they're loaded. Michael Jordan, James Worthy. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, Doherty, uh, they're loaded. We got almost no chance of beating them. Our team's respectable, but this is a national championship team. At halftime, now Dean Smith was a great coach and a great person, but he was a stickler for making the players do exactly what they're supposed to do. We use the freak defense. Now I'm going to test you, Brian and Matt. What do you think the score was at halftime of that game? Probably Michael Jordan, great. James Worthy, Doherty. Wow. You would think they'd probably at least have a 10-point lead. Okay, so tell me, just give me the score for fun. For fun. Uh, yeah. I'd say, what? Yeah, I'd probably say 39-45. Why not? 39-45 North Carolina? Yeah. I'd say 50-39. Okay. okay. Is that Matt talking or Kevin? That, that, was, Kevin. that was me, Kevin. <laughs> okay, Matt, you're next. Uh. It's 39-45. The score was LSU 21, North Carolina 9. Wow. Whoa. (laughs) 21 to 9. So that convinced me it didn't work. Um, Yes, it did. (laughs) Because he was one of the greatest coaches in the country and uh, with some of the the greatest players ever to be on the court, Worthy and, and, uh, you know, Jordan and Doherty and, well, you think of all those teams in the Big East, and especially in the early 80s, there were so many powerhouses, you know, with the Ralph Sampson teams of Virginia, you know, NC State even, you know, they still had a pretty good team as well, but that's incredible. Gentlemen, I'd like to talk to you forever, but I've got to get going. If I can go five more minutes. I'm meeting Will Wade for lunch in Baton Rouge today, the new LSU coach, and this is our first meeting together. So we've, we've talked to each other, but not not in a meeting, so... I got five more minutes. Well, you got a question there, Matt? That sounds good. Um, well, Matt, I don't know what do you Kevin... think Kevin told me he's giving you for Christmas? I have no idea, to be honest. <laughs> I hope Should I both. tell him, Kevin? Yes, break the news to him, Coach. No, nah, I better not. Oh, okay. Maybe maybe not on air. <laughs> All right, I got to wait. Like I, I, I don't think you'll be disappointed, though. So I don't know if Kevin told you this, but uh, I coach a middle school basketball team. Um, I'm a coach, too. So I know exactly what you were talking about in terms of your defense. <clears throat> but my kind of thoughts were, uh, what do you think about kind of the new age of basketball with um, how they run, you know, 3 and D and, and how many shots behind the three-point line? Well, it's um... – I know one guy that wouldn't like it is John Wooden. And, Matt, what grades are you teaching these kids? Seventh, eighth grade. Okay, let me tell you something. You may think, and I'll have to close on this, you may think, oh, seventh and eighth grade. I coached. I coached seventh and eighth graders, too. I coached junior high one year when I left North Dakota, my wife and I. Couldn't make a living, couldn't get a job in the same city together and was a junior high school coach for a year. But let me tell you my my thing. A young kid, fifth grader, a coach put his arm around me and told me, you know, Dale, you really can be something, man. And this was, a, this I should say, this was a former coach that did this and told me, he said, put his arm around me. And he told me two things, the former coach. He was now the principal at the school. He told me, he said, number one, he said, you have to realize this young man, God, don't make any junk. And he says, number two, he said, I love you, Dale Brown. And when I walked away from him, I thought that's the first man that ever told me he loved me. That's not supposed to be cool. First man that ever told me he loved me. When he'd come into the gym for ball games the rest of my career at that school, I could jump over the rim. I could jump over the backboard. 
So it's just little things. The X's and O's are important, and I, I close on this. My first meeting in 1972, I wanted to learn from the best in the business. I wanted to find out um, Norman Vincent Peale was the greatest motivational author. I had got a chance to meet him. I went to Bob Richards Rants, the greatest public speaker at the time. Um, I went to the greatest coach, John Wooden. Spent four days with him, getting ready to leave. And he hit this pretty simple. He said, Dale, he said, I asked him, I said, Kosha, what do you think are the greatest reasons for your success? He said, very simple, Dale. Now listen to what he said. We, you can't do that in junior high school, in high school, obviously. But he said, number one, you've got to have better players than anybody else. Number two, you've got to have the better players always put the team above themselves. And three, he said, don't try to be some coaching genius or guru. Practice simplicity with constant repetition every day. So, gentlemen, I have to go. Matt, if, you're, if your present is not what you're expecting, I hope I haven't, got, hope I haven't given you too big expectations. <laughs> How long have you known Kevin, by the way, Matt? Well, we've been doing this show for about uh, two years now, so... Well, you know him pretty well. Yeah, but I, I think you're going to like what he's going to give you. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> well, thank you, Coach Dale. Um, excuse hey, me. it was thank- my pleasure, guys. I'm sorry I don't have more time, but I... Uh, no, it's quite all right. I mean, we only have Will, I'm going to meet him for lunch, so... Yeah. We only have about 10 more minutes on our show anyway, so it was just an honor to have you on, and, and thank you once again. I really appreciate the gift that you gave me, and I tell you, those words really sink in. Never give up on any condition. It has helped me, Coach Brown. And you know, finally... I go. I give a speech. In fact, I just came back from uh, Monterey. A dear friend of mine from Minot, North Dakota, who grew up in poverty-stricken family, is a billionaire. Hmm. He lives there. I spoke to his group, and I, my my title of my speech was, uh, "How do you find success and happiness?" Now we always talking about success, but there's a lot of unhappy people. There's a lot of suicide, and. I think that to close this program out, if you really want to find success and happiness, and there's going to be ups and downs in all of our lives, no matter what act or pretense somebody has, is a a beautiful poem that I was I learned years ago. I don't even know who to give credit to, but I close on this. And it applies to all of us on this earth. There's 7.5 billion of us on this earth right now. And if you do this you'll find happiness and success. It's fairly simple. If you get what you want and struggle for self, and the world makes you king or queen for a day, just go to the mirror and look at yourself and see what that person has to say. It isn't your mother, father, sweetheart, wife, or boss whose judgment upon you must pass. The person whose verdict counts most in your life is the one staring back from the glass. Oh, yeah, you may get pats on the back as you pass, but your final reward will be heartache and tears if you've cheated the person in the glass. So, in conclusion, that's the best. That's the best example. If you want to, if you do that, that's how you can find success and happiness. Gentlemen, it was a pleasure. Kevin and Matt, and Kevin, listen, you must be making a heck of a lot of money to spend that kind of money on Matt's gift, huh? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> it was a joy being me. with both of you. I wish I could be longer. Oh, thank you for your time. It was time. a pleasure. It was a pleasure. And, uh, take care, guys. And you take care as well. Thank you, Coach Brown. I enjoyed being on the show. Bye. Thank Bye. you. That was the legendary Coach Dale Brown. We thank you. And uh, Wow. wow. That's insightful. If, if that doesn't lift your spirits, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what will because I'm just so highly motivated. I mean, this man sent me through the universe and beyond. And how about you, Matt? I mean, I've learned so much. I just I feel like we were talking to someone who, you know, had the, the wisdom of many generations and just so much wisdom that you can learn from and has so many life stories that apply to so many different areas and it was a very like it was very fulfilling and a pleasure to be able to talk with him. So uh, thank you, Coach Brown. And you think about it too. You know, one of the things that he said, uh, you know, talk about coming to LSU because LSU is a big football school. But anytime you mention Coach Dale Brown, I mean that name is larger than life in a sense of he built that basketball program. He did, and he, and he built it the right way with hard work, blood, sweat, and tears. Never had the top-tier talent, and he got the best out of his athletes. 
He was able to motivate them, and I'm just so highly energetic and motivated right now. You know, and what a great way to kick off our third season of oh, Sports yeah. Matters. I feel like I could run through a brick wall. Oh, absolutely. I'm not going to give up running through it, that's for sure. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to try and run through a brick wall, but, you know. <laughs> but, it's but, a metaphor. Exactly. Metaphorically speaking, of course. <laughs> Boy, I, I don't know how we're going to uh, segue from this, but we have I, to. we got to talk about the World Cup I, because we something— We have to talk about the World Cup. Th- there was a seismic quake in Mexico City when they scored the goal against the defending World Cup champions for four years ago, Mexico. Yes, I'm talking about Mexico. There was an excellent article in the New York Times that talked about how— the smaller countries are starting to get better at soccer. My dad sent it to me, and I read it, and I was like, this makes so much sense. There's like countries like Iceland that has about the population the size of Santa Ana, which is about 300,000 people, and they are coming out, and they are not afraid of any other soccer team. And it starts from the coaching level. Can you believe it or not? They went in, and they got coaches certified. There's 300 part-time coaches in Iceland that know the game of soccer, that got taught by great officials of soccer and then they developed the talent from there so they did this a long time ago and then you you got all these different uh countries like panama who use the resources that they have and send them to other countries to learn from the best so that they can come back to panama side and they played an excellent game yesterday too i mean Belgium is, I said it before, they're going to win the World Cup, in my opinion. Wow. that's, that's I, a... I think that Bel- this Belgium team has so much talent, and they played them hard. And Belgium, you know, you get tired in soccer around the 70th minute, and they gave up all their goals past the 70th. But the, if they play hard, they're going to be look good. Costa Rica is another one of those teams. So these smaller countries have came out and have made such a big impact. But, you know, they always seem to do, because I, I even remember way back in 2002, the World Cup, you know, when Senegal, you know, made that huge run, made it to the semifinals and ended up winning the third place and make it to the finals. So, yes, you're right. You got these smaller countries that, you know, they play really good ball. You know, they can, they have a chance to win. They do. Yeah. And, and you we've seen it in the past World Cup. You, you had a country like Mexico who really hasn't had a whole lot of success in the World Cup. That was arguably their biggest win internationally. It's huge because they, they said, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, Jose, and he was telling me, he goes, if Mexico, before the game started, if, if they said, hey, we'll just, we'll take a tie, we won't even play, we'll, where do we sign? Yeah. You know, but, but they beat Germany. I know, and now they have a really good chance. I mean, they're, go, they're definitely going to make it to the tournament now. Well, they, they were looking good beforehand. They, I mean, yeah. they need to still beat Sweden and South Korea. The, those are two teams that they have to beat still. Right, but um, I mean, for them to to beat Germany, that's just going to put them in a higher seating and a higher bracket. I thought Mexico was one of the sleeper teams in this World Cup. I looked at the roster. I was like, there's some really talented players. You got both the Dos Santos brothers. You got Carlos Vela. You got some MLS some quality MLS players and then you can couple it with a guy that has had a lot of uh, success in Chicharito and uh, I, I got a guy that works for uh, L Tree online so I'll have to bring him in and we'll talk some World Cup um, bring him in soon yeah yeah. I, yeah. I, and I have some people too you know this is a we got an hour show now so now we gotta yeah, we gotta we, run we, up some we, guests we gotta, <laughs> we gotta start you know scrounging around for some guests oh we will we will we will but, but experts experts at the World Cup because this only comes around once every four years. I've been to the World Cup in 2006 in Germany, and let me tell you, that energy, the passion, the enthusiasm, and just all these different countries coming together, and just I just love it. I love the level of competition. It's it's great to watch. And talk about that firecracker of a game, Matt. What did you think about Spain versus Portugal? Oh, my God. That was an amazing game. You I, called I, it. Cristiano Ronaldo is just a, he's a legend. Yeah, I, and we saw what Cristiano Ronaldo does. He's literally put his team for Portugal on his back with three goals on four shots. Pretty good. I mean, and they played arguably. I think the Spain is the number one or number two ranked team in the World Cup going into it. Number two, I think Germany was number one. So you look at these teams; they they are having a tough time finding success. I think. That this World Cup is shaping up to be a pretty good one so far with all the upsets. Argentina with a missed free kick, um, or penalty kick, I should say, by Messi. And, and Iceland, you know, that Iceland goalkeeper with ice in his veins. Unbelievable. Yes. You know, it, it, that's, I think, Lionel Messi, you know, 
probably arguably one of the greatest soccer players, you know, right now of this generation. There's only four for seven on these penalty kicks, and yeah. they're saying that's not that good. That's not. I, it's not. And, and to me, you have an Argentinian team with some quality offensive players. Cudaguero, which is one of them. Like uh, you have Angel Di Maria. You have all these offensively talented individuals. Edison Calvani. Like you have all these great. Oh no, Edison Cavani's on Uruguay. Never mind. Uh, but you have Cunegaro, and, and you you got some really quality individuals in Argentinian soccer that you can play. But you know you, you kind of you rely on Messi way too much when you have such great players around you, such great players. So it just doesn't make sense to me. I, I think Argentinian uh, fans should be a little bit disappointed after the first game. But however. It's not even close to being over. We just went through the first round of games. Exactly. It, anything can happen. You know, Mexico still has to win another match. Either another from South two. Korea they or, got, or Sweden. But, you know, at least two wins will guarantee them to get to the next round. Well, to be, get out of their group. I, I, I want, that'll be six points. I want Mexico to do well because, you know, even though... But you'll get a higher seating. You'll get a higher seat. Yeah. I want Mexico to yeah. do well. I don't, Landon, I don't know if you saw this, but Landon Donovan was getting some flack for filming a commercial for Wells Fargo saying, my other team is Mexico. And he, he basically was looking at this. All these ex-teammates were like, oh, my gosh, you're doing this to our rival. Like, you're going to just switch sides on us. But... I mean, the backstory of it is, and I understand why he did. Was Wells Fargo signed him a long time ago to be a World Cup sponsor for the U.S. And look at what happened. So they they want to have their money go to use in some way. So I understand why he did it. But besides the fact is, I'm rooting for Mexico just because we have not had a whole lot of success in Concacaf in the World Cup. They're still Mexico still is in North America. North America. They yes. are, are, I guess they're a brother or sister country, something like that. They're right next door. They're, they're in our continent. They're our neighbors. Yes. I support my neighbors. We got to support our neighbors. Absolutely. But uh, in other news, we got Brooks Kapka, U.S. Open Championship back-to-back. How about that? How about this? The guy, Duster Johnson, wins the tournament just before the U.S. Open and up until this date, has never won the U.S. Open, and that's going to continue. I know. <laughs> what wanna, is that? And you want to know what's crazy? This golf course was extremely hard. Remember, I think I was talking about yeah, this you were time t- last year where you, I wanted you, you, you to see. Did. I wanted to see a World Cup or not World Cup. I'm sorry. U.S. Open. I wanted golf. to see an Open where it was just so hard it made it look like regular people were playing it. And I got I got it this year. And honestly, after seeing it, it kind of wasn't that fun to watch. I watched so many balls literally roll. Like, if you hit it, you're like, oh, I hit that thing perfect. And it just rolls off the green. The thing that on day three, it was one of the hardest pin placements. I mean, Dustin Johnson went from having a minus four lead to ended up being plus three in two days. That's a seven-stroke difference. That doesn't happen very often. And, and you look at the other thing is the winner of the tournament had a plus one. A plus one. How about that? A plus what? That is crazy to me. If you would have told me, oh, this this year's U.S. Open is not going to have any negative number. And you think of all the big names that didn't make the cut for the last two days. Roy McIlroy, plus 12. Jordan Speed, plus 9. I mean, you could go down the list. Sergio Garcia didn't make the cut. But he, you're right. They really they were really challenged because it's a very difficult course. It's just like lightning trap greens and it's fescue the size of my legs like you you have an impossible shot if you miss the fairway which a lot of golfers did because they're so tight and you, you have to hit it in certain spots and and you got all these big bombers who just want to try to push the ball out there but that's not as accurate as doing the easy you know off the iron tee shot so after watching that i kind of looked at it and and i saw a few different things i mean we, if you are paying attention you saw phil mickelson uh, on one of the greens, he, he taps the ball just a little too hard, and it starts going down. And he makes the cardinal sin of golf. Apparently, it's the cardinal sin. Is he, he hits it back while it's still moving? And I'm thinking to myself, I was like, Is that a penalty? That is a two-stroke penalty. Oh wow! It would have taken yeah. him three strokes to get the ball back up. He would have had the chip, putt, and putt. Like it, it, it was just like kind of like, yeah, you might as well just have a, a chance at 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 making two strokes rather than you know. 
guaranteeing yourself for a three. So to me, the golf purists went ballistic about that. They're like, he should be disqualified. He's not worthy of playing on the PGA Tour. He, he, he. And I'm literally thinking to myself, I think 75% of golfers out there are guilty of doing the same thing, of touching the ball while it's moving. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just let a, people be people. Yeah, it's a gross exaggeration, but I yeah. mean, like, it, the, the point's still there. Is a, a lot of golfers do this. So it's not like if you're up in arms about Phil Nicholson doing it and you've done it before, that's a little hypocritical. Yes. That's my whole point. So I, for me to judge Phil Nicholson on that, I'm like, I probably would have done the same thing. After right. being just absolutely being annihilated by a golf course, and you're one of the best in the world, and you're dealing with greens that are just hard as plates. Well, speaking of greens, we are in grass season in tennis, and guess who's number one? Federer. Yes, he won the Mercedes Open. Well, he hadn't played in that tournament last where, year. Where was that? Where is the Mercedes Open? The Mercedes Open. That's a good question, Matt. Is it international? It is. And so let's look it up here. I mean, Roger Federer should be where he should be. I mean, he's the number one tennis player in the world. Number two is Rafael Nadal because clay season's over. It's the first grass. Grass is coming out, which means, you know. Put- Stuttgart. It's in Stuttgart, Germany. Stuttgart, Germany. So it's definitely not a, a easy place to go. I mean, you, you're traveling from Spain to Germany to yeah, wherever. You, you Do they have the in, Miami yeah. Open in between there? Am I wrong? Oh no, that was uh that was during the hard court season because okay. the Miami Open literally follows the Indian Wells. Okay, it goes Indian Wells, and that's the ATP 1000. Now it's grass season, so now we go from the slowest moving surface to the fastest moving surface, and you could see the difference in, between the two players, you know, of Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer, because that's always going to be an argument like who's the greatest to play, and Federer is just built for speed, where Nadal has that. That overhand, just yeah. Clay. yeah, he just has that amazing forehand. Yeah, so it, that'll be interesting to see. What, when's the next big open? Well, they have a you know they'll have a few of these ATP one thousands, you know, and they kind of warm them up, and then you know they'll the, end up clo- the Wimbledon will close out. I'll have my okay. friend Anton Leon; he's oh, a yeah, big tennis guy, so he'll be back here. All right, that's good. Well, I'm looking forward to that. We are pumped. And I hope you're pumped up today, ladies and gentlemen. This concludes Sports Matters, and you enjoy your day. Take it away, Matt. I love you, grandmas.